If you want to hear some good preaching in this place or any place, you've already heard it. <laughs> you just need to recall the lesson we heard from the Acts, Acts 10, 34 to 43. This is as good an example of what the apostles meant by preaching as it gets. Pure proclamation. Just tell the story what God in Christ did. You'll proclaim it yourselves in the creed. Some pray the creed, but the creed is pure proclamation, pure preaching, pure good news. What we usually get and do here and anywhere is earnest exegesis followed by moral exhortation, a call to good works to live the good life. The early church would have called this didache or homilia in Latin, not preaching. Well, today we are all about preaching, preaching the word, preaching the sacraments, the sacrament of baptism. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. This is the catechism. What is it that a sacrament does? It does what the word does. It does something to us. It does not explain or describe or circumscribe. It does something. It no, God does something. God does God. Through word and sacrament, God does God to us. A sacrament, how else can we say it? A visible sign, an invisible grace. And that grace is a promise. A sign and a promise. God's promise. And God promises this, to be there for us to be present in a way that is for us and not just with us, present in a saving way, present in a saving way in, with, and under an earthly sign. That is the grace of the sacrament, and one of the two sacraments that we rec recognize as dominical in our church is baptism. The sign of baptism, water. The promise, life. New life in Christ. We get a new life, a renewed life from our time in the water, which means that the life we were given as creatures is made new all over again, refreshed, restored, made to be all that it was meant to be, to be all that it might have been, could have been, should have been, all that it ought have been, we say. And the ought means what we ought to have done with that life, what we ought that we didn't, what we oughtn't we did. And there is no health in us, as the old prayer book says, which means there is nothing good in us which has not been weakened, broken, battered, and bruised, rendered helpless and hopeless by sin. Not that there is nothing good, but that nothing that is good in us is in good health. You see the point here? This is so important. Not that there is nothing good in us, but that there is nothing good which is in good health. And then this too, we cannot alone and unaided make ourselves better, get ourselves well. So the solution is radical. God does God to us through the law and through the gospel. Through the law, he kills off the disease he shows it to us, and then he helps to kill it. Maybe that means throwing out a few microbes into oblivion. Maybe that means cutting an ounce or two out of tissue, maybe more. 
You kill the disease, you restore the health of the body. You kill the living death within you so that that which is good can have life again, life in all its fullness. And baptism does that. It is a sacrament of death and life, of life from death. Jesus, as at Calvary, allows, suffers John to baptize him for sins he has not committed, to grant him a repentance which he clearly does not have and even cannot make. All this prefigures the crucifixion. Let's look at this. In Matthew's gospel, at least, these are the first things Jesus says and does, and here is the cross already. This is a very good day. Jesus, of whom Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This really is the sermon, or homily, or reflection, or whatever you like, right in this one verse. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus accepts his mission readily. We are a long way from the transfiguration, and Jesus has already set his face for Jerusalem. He has accepted his divine appointment to die for our sins, to take upon himself the sins that we have committed, and to go in our place to the place of judgment, and to hear the verdict, guilty, and then to the place of execution, and there to suffer the consequences in our place. Now this is an insufferable concept, which we give the name substitutionary atonement, or rather insufferable name, and it sticks in the craw even of Jesus lovers, even especially of Jesus lovers who write and read books by other lovers of Jesus, bright, sincere Christians who say, wait a moment, this isn't right, this isn't fair, how could God do this, how could a good God do this, be appeased in blood by an innocent victim? This encounter in the third chapter of Matthew's gospel has established clearly the innocence of the victim. How could God do this? Many exquisite theories are spun to exonerate God from this offense against his honors. And I must say it's a very attractive notion, at least it's a pretty notion, maybe not beautiful, but very pretty. And people have been trying to do something with this from the beginning. Well, we live in hope. And after all the books and all the hours wanting to, trying to believe that we have finally broken the back of this doctrine and may dismiss substitutionary atonement and are now well rid of it, well, I must say, it won't wash. <laughs> you can't wash all the blood away. No way. For whatever reason, it must be this way. If there is to be a way back for us, back to the Father. It won't wash if you try to expunge it, sponge the blood away like Lady Macbeth. Not even, especially even, in the waters of the Jordan in which Jesus now stands, having broken through the surface of the river just as the Spirit and the Father break the silent sky with their affirmation. Jesus is starting his ministry and has already accepted his mission, solidarity with sinners, no matter the cost. And the first but not the last response is bewilderment. 
from John. Awkwardness like the skip in the DVD your little child has handled where the pixels freeze in their tracks for what seems an eternity and then the thing lurches forward and you don't know what you've missed. So here, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. That's the point, isn't it? The whole point is here. Jesus says, let it be. If you do get to do one thing, John, for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world, it is this, do what I ask, absurd as it seems. And John seems to get it. He seems to understand, I see, seems to, because at the end, as I've said before in this place, at the end of John, that is, he is not sure. As he sits in that dungeon awaiting his execution, John seems to believe that Jesus perhaps did not turn out as expected. Even then, John doesn't seem to get that Jesus taking on our sins is the line, the red line, the scarlet line that runs through the whole thing on which everything else in Scripture is suspended. And it starts here in the Jordan. And the Father and the Spirit, knowing where this is all going, are well pleased. And not just for Jesus, for us too who will follow. Follow Jesus through the waters of baptism. Follow Jesus to the table. Share his last hours. Share his body and his blood again and again. Do this, he said. Do these two things, baptism, communion. Don't ask how, let it be. Do ask why. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Why we do everything. For the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death and our life sentence to seek again and again the forgiveness of sins, living perpetually in Romans chapter 7, seeking and finding, getting and giving to, to others the forgiveness of sins to those we love, and the key to love, the forgiveness of sins. And what does that do? What does that do? Forgiven, we are seen by the Father in Christ, not as we are, but as we will be. And how will we be? As we really are, at least in potential, when we really become all that we are. That's the promise. Remember the promise, making us to be all that we are. What is a sacrament? A sign and a promise received in faith. What is the promise? The forgiveness of sins. The gift of grace of a gracious God. And God's grace, Gerhard Ferde writes, saves. It is saving grace. It, and I quote, saves nature, not by adding something to it, not by raising it, by ratcheting it up to a supposedly higher level, not by taking us into some higher calling, some higher vocation, but by allowing it to be once again what it was always intended. I'm paraphrasing further here. What it was always intended to be, what it was meant to be, what we were meant to be when God knew us before we were in our mother's wombs. God's good creation. And the promise opens up the natural for us as God's good creation 
in which we can live and work. The promise gives us the hope that we can live for the time being as citizens of heaven and of this earth. In more ways than we are usually aware, the sacraments and the sacrament of baptism give us treasure in earthen vessels. Sacraments confirm the down-to-earth character of the Christian faith. Down-to-earth. As citizens of heaven, brothers and sisters, how much mischief do we make trying to get to heaven ahead of God? Jesus came here, and we are all about trying to get up there as fast as we can. And the devil take the details and the devil does indeed take all our broken promises, all our little white lies, our cover-ups, our disingenuousness, and even our striving. And this is what is so poignant, even our striving, all our striving to do better. For us then, for whom God's word is so often just a set of instructions we open the book and we close it as fast as we can get something out of it. From God to us, and for whom prayer is so often just a set of instructions too, from us to a God who seems to be up there somewhere, not paying any attention to us whatsoever. And this is what life is all about in the church. Me and my all-important sanctification. Baptism reminds us this is God's thing from first to last. It is done to us on our behalf by someone, someone else. Baptism is something God does to us, for us, breaking into us. But if you cannot conceive of God actually trying to break into you, as you are trying to climb that ladder to heaven and break in on God and get a thank you, by the way, from him for all your good efforts, then the idea of God breaking in on you and I is, there are no words for it, incomprehensible, even amazing. No words, no more words. So we come forward, simple as that. Gather around. He'll be here. The bread and the wine will be here. That's our part. He'll do the rest. Just as you are, come forward. And let God be God just for a moment. Let God do God. That's an Anglican altar call. Amen.